Hello, and welcome all to the other side of midnight. Yes, you are on the other side of midnight, but you're hearing a different voice tonight. Unfortunately, Richard Hoagland, your regular host and founder of this wonderful and deeply held program, which has been now, I believe, going on five years, couldn't make it tonight. And so I will be here tonight. My name is Andrew Curry. I'm your guest host, and I will be joined by my other co-hosts, Kinthea and Timothy Saunders. I want to begin tonight actually referring to Richard's write-up for this show, and I, I want to sort of intersperse some of my thoughts around what he's written. And it's an important show tonight, folks. Um, you know, in the midst of this of this pandemic that's sweeping our planet, this ongoing event, which I'd like to call it, it's a time of self-reflection, and it's a time of, of a certain level of anxiety for pretty much everybody on this planet. But I want to read what Richard has written. I think the story of the thousands of blackbirds coincidentally falling out of the skies over Amsterdam when a 5G experiment was suddenly turned on several years ago was my first major heads up that something might be fundamentally wrong with 5G. Now, I want to add to that that earlier today, I had a wonderful conversation with a fast and growing friend from the UK. His name is Johnny. And we were reminiscing about our fathers who have passed away. His passed away five years ago. Mine passed away fairly recently back in 2019. And I thought this would be apropos for, you know, those that have lost loved ones during this, you know, these last few months of this COVID-19. Anyways, Johnny spoke of his father and how his dad used to sit in the backyard of his house and do his gardening and he remembers how his father would start whistling to the birds, the songbirds, the finches in the trees, and they would sing back to him. And then when he would change his tone, change his resonance, change his song, they too would respond by changing their song back to him. And he told me, you know, every time I hear the birds singing, it reminds me of my father. Well, with these 5G towers and technology, we have these, these pillars now with these insertions in our communities of this, of this new technology, which is mysterious to most. Well, we have a very special guest tonight. She's been on the show before. Her name is Dr. Beverly Rubick. And tonight she is going to be our bird flying around these towers and singing to us what this technology is all about because there is possibly is a scientific connection between COVID-19 and 5G. So welcome to the show. I want to welcome my co-host tonight and we'll have a little chit chat and then we'll, we'll, we'll bring on our guests. So Timothy, Kinthea, how are you? How are you tonight? Good evening. Good hey, Glad to be here. Glad to be here. So for, for those that may or may not know yet, a lot of you who are regular listeners, um, uh, Timothy, Kanthea, and I have started our own show by the gracious you know, acceptance of Richard on Friday nights, and we have a show called The Other Side of the News. Um, so uh, when Richard fell a little bit under the weather tonight, we immediately f fell into place and said, we'll do it. <laughs> so so you'll, <laughs> you'll have us for three hours, folks. But, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, 
it's 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 an honor to speak with Beverly later. I mean, uh, we've we've just had a little warm up before the show, but uh, I'm looking forward to have some you know, great questions. I hope we can bring her way later. But I also want to listen because I have to say honestly that while I have for some time, actually quite a long time, uh, been suspicious about 5G, also because my normal place of, of residence is Turkey. And we've had this thing called 4.5G, whatever that is, uh, for a number of years. And, uh, you know, for, for me, I have to honestly say that I'm kind of on the fence because I have I've listened to some very interesting uh, technical information, read technical information that says that 5G is very harmful to us to to living beings it can be used as a radar it can be you know lots of different theories that have been posed but i've also heard other people defend it uh and saying well it's totally inert it's totally safe and there's no problem at all and so on so i'm i'm absolutely delighted that finally this evening we can have a very high caliber guest to ask questions and to listen and to learn so i'm delighted yeah you know Tim, on that note, one of my big issues is, and I know there's a lot of anxiety, like I mentioned in the intro, to not only the what the situation that's going on, but a lot of these things that are happening sort of behind the scenes, which have been happening even before all of this, uh, you know, our current situation has happened. Uh, but I, I think some of the literature that I've read, I know I, I want, we'll get into it with um, with the doctor, but what concerns me is the is the fixation on the telemetry, is the connection, the interface between machine and human. This is a, a topic that, you know, has been coming up more and more in our midst. Um, some would call it transhumanism, some sort of next evolution of humanity. And, you know, we may indeed be seeing that now with this this idea, this interface between AI and with and with humans. And, you know, maybe it's a gift. Maybe it's a gift that will help us transcend and, and become something greater, or perhaps it's something very scary. And that's what we want to get into tonight. Uh, I think it's, think it's an important thing, you know, on the lines of, of, of sort of, you know, diseases and, 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 you know, coming AI, et cetera. I wanted to just quickly, we're not going to go over Richard's items, you know, in depth, because honestly, we just haven't had the time to really sort of drop into his articles and really go into the backstory of each one. But I want to talk to you guys about one of the stories in particular that he has up. So if you go to the other side of midnight.com and go to the show banner, it's called um, 5G. Is there a scientific 5G COVID-19 connection with Dr. Beverly Rubick? You tap on that and you'll find the fast links. And if you go to Richard's fast links, click on that, you'll come down to his number two. And it says NASA should be aware of viruses coming from outer space. And I thought that was a really interesting article. I don't know if you two had a chance to read it over, but um, you know, basically this summer, NASA is gonna have a probe going to Mars called Perseverance. It's gonna have a, a like a, a rover called Perseverance, which is gonna, you know, move around on, um, I think it's, is it the Jezero, uh, oh, Jezero crater? I'm probably getting that screwed up, guys. I'm sorry about that. But it's designed to pick up samples hold these samples from Mars and eventually bring them back to Earth. And the big concern now, especially in this sort of pandemic scenario that we're in, um, is what if we bring something back from space to Earth, a.k.a. 
like a lot of the movies that we've seen in the past. Um, what was the big famous one, you guys, from the 70s? Um, the Andromeda Strain. Um, this idea that you know some foreign virus could come in. And in fact, there was another wonderful film that's been remade many times called Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is one of this, you know, again, this idea of a panspermia-type virus that finds its way in almost like this intelligent Borg-like way and comes to Earth, sprouts out as flowers, and people collect them, and then next thing you know, their bodies are being replaced. So there's all this anxiety of things coming from outer space as well. And it's very interesting because there's this, um, apparently there's this Committee on Space Research, or also called COSPAR, and it's a, what's called a global research group. And they came up with a series of suggested protocols for various types of, of you know, space missions. And they've requested something what they call, quote, the non-terrestrial replicating, though, if, if and, sorry, if requested that a non-terrestrial repl replicating entity, if that was to be sort of brought back to Earth somehow, that it would have to be quarantined. Well, that non-terrestrial replicating entity means life form. And the reason why I wanted to bring attention to this is because, you know, this is, you know, not necessarily for this show, but it is a meme that we're seeing more and more and more and a topic of this idea that we're being readied for something more. And you kind of kind of have to wonder, you guys, if, if maybe even this sort of COVID-19 is a precursor to some bigger announcements coming our way. Any well, I've, I've certainly heard that that coined quite early on, actually, uh, even from a uh, somebody I'm I'm not going to uh, give their name right now, but I was quite surprised to hear it coming from from his lips. And uh, he said, "This is a warm up. This is a warm up for the big one." I ah. said, "What the hell do you mean?" And uh, you know, now when you say you talk about these, you know, the possibility of bringing life forms, or let's say fragments of life forms back, or potential life back from uh from outer space from you know off world should we say uh and especially also i think it was only a week or so ago richard was was announcing that uh inadvertently sort of reading between the lines that nasa had basically said that there is life on mars and yeah. uh, it, it's some, something in relation to the amount of um is it carbon dioxide and methane levels that seasonally yes. i say seasonally but rise and fall as if it's going with some form of season or cycle or, you know, uh, something which which would you know be more akin with uh, wildlife or, or or growth or plants or moss or mold or something which which maybe not mold but uh, you can tell I'm not a biologist yeah. but the point is that you know the, these these gases which are usually associated with some form of life are certainly raise, uh, rising and falling and that's that's the important part. Yeah, so it is interesting that in this, this time of stillness across the planet, and I mean, we are in a stage now on, you know, in many countries and states and provinces and regions across the planet, beginning to sort of re-enter back to, well, some version of reality, of, of, a, of a, some sort of normal. And, you know, but there's been this, but we're still in this this sort of tense time. And, and again, a time for self-reflection and a, a real self-analysis that can happen over and over again. So, yeah, what what you know, it's 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 like clearing the palate, you guys. You know, it's like clearing the palate for a new dish that's coming to the table, and you know, you have to sort of swish your mouth and get rid of that, and then start a new taste. And and yeah, Tim, you wonder what's on the menu next, folks. What's what's coming our way? It's very interesting. I think it's something positive. I think it could be tremendous. But 
you know, we have to be cautious. And, and that's what our guest is going to talk about tonight is how we're going to proceed forward through this. And I know, Kinthea, you're going to introduce her and then we're going to begin the show, everybody. Yes, we are. Are we at that point? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> All right. Kinthea, well, you, have, you have the baton. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, <clears throat> first of all, I want to say it's, it's really a pleasure for me to bring on Dr. Beverly Rubick. I had the pleasure of meeting her. She came to dinner at my home with her wonderful husband and um, down and went to uh, a show about Mariah. So I've had the opportunity of dipping into this vast wealth of awareness. I mean, she is amazing. So her bio is quite long. I'm just going to grab some points from it to give you a sense of who we are uh, have as our guest tonight. So Dr. Beverly Rubick is the president and founder of the Institute for Frontier Science. And she received her PhD in biophysics in 1979 at the University of California. She is especially known for her pioneering research in the biofield, the energy field associated with living organisms. She has measured the extremely low-level light biophotons emitted by living organisms in relation to health and various states of consciousness. Dr. Rubik has won many awards for research and published over 100 scientific papers and two books, Life at the Edge Science and the interrelationship between mind and matter. She presently serves on the editorial boards of four peer-reviewed journals, and she was one of 18 U.S. congressionally appointed members of the Program Advisory Board to the Office of Alternative Medicine at the U.S. National Institutes of Health, and she has chaired on that same institute panels for the bioelectromagnetic medicine and energy healing. She's the director of the Center for Frontier Science at Temple University in Philadelphia and founded a journal, Frontier Perspectives, and published scientific reports from scientists worldwide on theories and novel discoveries that challenge mainstream science. Dr. Rubick founded the Institute for Frontier Science, a nonprofit laboratory with the support from Lawrence S. Rockefeller Sr. to continue her work. In 2002, she was awarded the National Institute of Health Center grant for frontier medicine research on the biofield science and consortium with researchers at the University of Arizona. And this bio goes on and on. I mean, we are really privileged to have Beverly join us tonight. She has prepared a lot of information to answer our questions. And I'm deeply grateful. Welcome, Beverly. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kinthea. <laughs> it's really my pleasure. Well, Good evening. Yes. So, so <laughs> go ahead, go ahead <laughs> I'm raring the bit. I have a lot of questions. But go, you go, go. Yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, Dr. Beverly, should I call you Dr. Dr. Beverly? How, how should we address you this evening? 
That's fine. I like Dr. Beverly. <laughs> okay. Then Dr. Beverly, uh, we're delighted to have you on board. And uh, thank you for preparing so much information. May I ask a initial question? Um, I'd like, really like to understand if it is true that 5G continues to be rolled out regardless of, um, what should we say, safety checks, uh, even despite the fact that the lockdown due to COVID-19, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, is 5G still continuing to be rolled out at this time? Well, I understand it's, it's being rolled out in the schools as we sit here in a lockdown. Um, uh. Josh Del Sol in, in Canada had some evidence for that up there um, because uh, his team visited a school ground and there was that uh, white van with no lettering on it and they found out that they were indeed installing 5G routers in that school. You know, I don't know personally what's being rolled out as we sit here on the lockdown uh, it's it's really difficult to know, and we've been sitting here for a couple of months already. But my understanding is that um, there really is not going to be any safety studies. Um, we heard some con congressional testimony about that, where the industry was asked, uh, have you put up any money for studies? And uh, not really, and there's nothing cooking, <laughs> so... Um, I'm afraid the recent laws that Trump signed into effect that uh, around the end of March put 5G on a fast track. So that's a fast what's track. going on. And now I don't think uh, I think there's a time to rebuttal those laws uh, that when that were apparently signed on March 23rd. But there's mm -hmm. 180 days for people to uh, protest these laws which uh, mandate that President Trump's administration should oversee and the rollout should happen this year. So this is a very pivotal time to be having this radio show and this discussion because people now have an opportunity to fight back before all is said and done. Because once the rollout occurs, I doubt that they're going to undo it. Dr. In, Beverly, is there an organized way in which we can respond? Is there anyone organizing this so that to make it easier for people to, because, you know, your ordinary person doesn't really know, well, who do I do, you know, who do I send a message to? What do I say? Da, da, da. Well, there are websites. I'm not an activist and I'm not handling all of that. I've been more involved in locally what's going on in Oakland and Berkeley. But I understand there are organized ways of, uh, of activism where people are signing petitions and all of this is going out, but I have no idea how effective they are. There had been some lawsuits by cities across the country against the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, and uh, the federal government in general because they found out that the 1996 Wireless Telecom Act, which actually President Clinton signed into law, prevented local governments from even addressing health and environmental issues. It oh. said, and this was, uh, of course, one of those laws that was handled by wireless telecom lobbyists and quickly passed uh, so long ago that nobody was even thinking about health and environmental effects of uh, the few antennas that we had at that time. That was before smartphones were introduced. Mm -hmm which was 2007, we're talking 1996. 
And so um, cities have now sued the federal government because because uh, citizens have come to meetings of their city councils and planning commissions and said, we don't want this. We want wired technology. We're concerned about health. We're concerned about antennas uh, being installed in our neighborhoods and approximately at the second floor where many people sleep in second floor homes, uh, very close to where we spend a lot of time sleeping and uh, home offices. We don't want these antennas in our home neighborhoods. Dr. Beverly, I'm sorry. I am experiencing the direct impact of that because they put up a pole across the street. And we, all the neighbors here in Albany, you know, we went to the city council meetings and we were told we couldn't mention health. We could not bring up health as an issue. It was really... You know, I went to meeting after meeting after meeting, and, you know, the telecom companies had their big fancy lawyers, and the citizens, we were filling up the room, but none of us were allowed to speak about health. And I thought, what is this? And so I I have this big pole across the street from me now. Well, and I experienced the same. I gave a a speech at the Oakland Planning Commission about health and environmental issues. I sent you a copy. You probably put it on the website. Mm -hmm. Um, I did. And I was um, dismissed, and the the commission said, we have no jurisdiction on these issues. Next. (laughs) Right. So I understand what you and many, many people have experienced in going to their local government trying to make nourishing change in wireless telecom ordinances in the installation of these things right in their backyard. And and many people think, well, they can stop this at the level of the city or the county. And because of the 1996 Wireless Telecom Act, no, they can't. They cannot raise any issues about health and the environment. It becomes illegal at the federal level. It's It's really... Amazing to even think about this, but that so this is, is what's on the book. Sen- this is censorship, censorship at source. This is this is crazy. How how, how can they? Uh, how can that even be? How can you go to somewhere yeah. and not not complain about certain elements which are which are fundamental to normal human health? I mean, that's ridiculous not to be able to do that. Well, it parallels, and, mm. and that's why the cities are challenging it as uh, stripping their jurisdiction from them to protect their clientele. But it is a law. It's been on the books since 1996, and nobody knew about it relatively recently. And so, and then the FCC uh, put up a fast track last fall and said uh, cities need to sort of rubber stamp these permit applications for antennas. They need to move quickly, uh, and under the pretense that we're trying to race with China. Huawei, which is the Chinese large wireless telecom company, is probably ahead of the United States in rolling this out because, of course, we found out that Wuhan, which is the city where the coronavirus uh, erupted uh, late last year, already had a total 5G rollout in late October 2019, mm-hmm. yes. shortly before. And so somehow people in the United States feel that if we don't have preeminence in 5G, we're going to lose preeminence in technology and the Internet. We're going to lose a lot of economic opportunities to make 
billions or maybe trillions of dollars, as it's been estimated, as well as concerned about the surveillance of our our citizens mm-hmm. by perhaps uh, the Chinese instead of the American governments. Do- Dr. So. Beverly, may I ask you a question? We're coming up to a break in around five minutes. And I think that before we go in too deep into this subject matter, because it will be sort of quite complex and perhaps unfamiliar for some of our listeners, would it be possible to summarize very quickly the different times, types of um, ele- electromagnetic and uh, RF, uh, different different types of, let should we say, radio frequency pollutions? How does that vary from the pollution coming from power lines? Would it be possible to give us a little summary before we, we go yes. to break? Well, power lines in the United States are 60 hertz. That's 60 vibrations per second. In Europe, it's 50 hertz. So it's it's also the same. It's very low frequency. Uh, when we talk about wireless, we're talking about microwaves, which is 4G, which is in the megahertz range, millions of hertz or millions of vibrations per second. That's 4G. When we move into 5G, it also includes microwaves uh, in the megahertz region, but also in the gigahertz region. And so there are even more waves uh, per second, uh, billions of waves per second. Uh, and 5G is really a protocol. It's an ev- evolving protocol that involves the densification of 4G, which is what's running our smartphones these days and our Wi-Fi routers and many other technologies. So there'll be 4G antennas installed, um, many millions more, and on top of it, then new types of antennas that deliver the gigahertz uh, uh, high-frequency bands of 5G. And it will be evolving. They won't be introducing them all at once. Uh, because there's really very different technology for some of these bands. But it's largely about the Internet of Things. It's about having just about everything you own uh, send out a signal and connect with your smart meter, if you have one, which will then uh, convey it to a central station about Mm -hmm. what you're doing with all of your things. The Internet of Things is about machines that now will be hooked up to a wireless worldwide web and that will be really worldwide wireless and worldwide there will not be a square inch of planet earth that will not be terraformed by these frequencies Mm -hmm. so so to go back just to go back to basics very quickly so just to illustrate it to our listeners the 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 frequency imagine it like a, a sine wave that is is traveling from one side of the screen to the other, the amplitude and, and you know, the, the peaks and the troughs um, obviously show the, the, the band, I think it's the, the, the bandwidth of the frequency, but then that carrier wave is like a conveyor belt that actually carries the data, the data packets or the, the pieces of information from our text messages, from our, from our Skype calls, from our photographs, everything we send from one, one smartphone to another. Is, is that a, a sort of a reasonable analogy? It's like a conveyor well, belt or... That's part of it. Let me add something, though. We are analog beings. I, I had prepared to talk about the energy uh, basis of life because most people don't know anything about that. They may say, life is a bag of my molecules. I know I'm a pile of hormones and nerves and biochemicals, but what do I know about myself as an energy being? And I really have done 40 years of research on that. We are energy beings. We're analog energy beings. And the problem with all of this stuff, 
with wireless, not with the 60 hertz or the 50 hertz power lines, but with the wireless signals, the digital age is the pulsation. That's even more problematic than the frequency. These pulses are rapid, fast, short-lived, and digital. It's like ones and zeros, on, off, on, off, on, off. And I liken it to, if I stand at the switch of a, a lamp and I turn it on, off, on, on, on and off in some irregular, random fashion, if you're sitting in that room, you're going to say, I can't stand this. Either turn the light on or turn it off already. But that's what digital signals from all these devices are doing. They're turning on and off signals extremely rapidly, and no living thing can adapt to these. And that's the problem. That's the problem even much more than the carrier frequencies, whether they're, they're megahertz or gigahertz. That's also problematic, the carrier frequencies, those sine waves that you were talking about. But it's the pulse modulation of them that makes them unique and unable for any living thing to adapt. It's like being in a strobe light. You know? Well, but a strobe light is even more regular. This is highly irregular, always on and off signals because they're conveying ones and zeros in some okay. pattern of information. That's We're coming up in a break, Dr. Beverly. Oh, that thought, sorry. We'll be right back after this break. And the other side of the news can be heard here on this network, on this channel, on this website, on this URL, every Friday evening, two hours, 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific time. I warn you, you'll miss it at your own peril. the other side of the news I mean midnight oh. welcome back to the other side of midnight tonight our guest is Dr. Beverly Rubick to find the page the show page please go to the other side of midnight.com and click on tonight's banner is COVID-19 
a carrier for, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> ah, there is there a scientific connection with COVID-19? In COVID-19. And 5G. There we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and so, um, yes, uh, Dr. Beverly, you want to continue your thought there that you were speaking about the difference between the strobe? Like you were saying that these pulses are not regular like a, a strobe light. Is that correct? No, a strobe light, people don't like that either. If you have a strobe light, it's um, hard to function, but it's something you can adapt to more. When you had, if you had an irregular strobe light that went on and off in a totally unpredictable sequence of time periods, rapidly, and uh, you could never adapt, and and you would want to get out of that environment. It's very unpleasant. I mean, all life forms exposed to 5G type digital signals, or 4G or 3G, um, show stress chemicals. Stress proteins get made, whether they're plants or animals, and, and including us. And so uh, it's extraordinarily stressful. I looked at the human energy field uh, in response to, let's say, 4G, because I don't have any 5G devices yet. And I looked at electrosensitive people, people who claim that they have symptoms around these uh, devices, these wireless technologies, and either headaches or heart palpitations or tinnitus ringing in the ears. Some have pain. There are many symptoms that people can have, and they're electrosensitive. And physicians don't even know about this. Uh, they're not learning it in medical school or continuing medical education. They may just be medicating their patients instead of going to the source of the problem. And so I looked at the biofield of uh, both electrosensitive people and people who claim they're not electrosensitive, and I saw changes in the human energy field in either case. When people are electrosensitive and they are near these technological devices, the biofield becomes very distorted. It, it's very disturbed looking and left-right imbalanced as a result. Um, it's Dr. clear. Beverly, how are you measuring this, this biofield? I have different tools to measure the biofield. One of them is a device from Russia called BioWell. That's bio-well, W-L-L. -L. The website is www.bio-well.com. This is a form of electrophotography that actually followed Kirlian photography in Russia. Ah, but fascinating. It has it has extensive software, and it's been developed over the last 30 years. And you put one finger in at a time, and it looks, um, it looks at the pattern of induced light emission around each of the 10 fingers and then calculates a composite biofield based on this, which is visualized. Um, and so I can actually see changes in the biofield. I can calculate differences and publish papers on this in scientific and medical journals. I did see that people who say, I'm not electrosensitive, when exposed to, say, a cell phone for 30 minutes doing their usual activities, calling, going online, uh, showed more stress in the biofield, a spikiness of the energy flow, when, according to oriental medicine, ideally we want a smooth, unimpeded flow of chi. That's our understanding of energy flow in the human 
And yet when we see a field that's spiky and irregular as a result of exposure to these fields, these uh, technological artificial fields, we know that that's a sign of stress because we see similar patterns with other stressors. Uh, it's a provocation. Digital frequencies are not our friends, and they are injuring our biofields, and I do believe that the biofield is regulating all of the chemistry and physiology of our bodies. And so if we mess with the energy field of life, then we have many changes at the biochemical and physiological level. And in fact, that's what we find. Dr. Beverly, you mentioned some of the symptoms that people may find if they are sensitive to this sort of uh, form of, can I call it radiation? I mean, it is a form of radiation, I guess. it is. It's wireless radiation. So, uh, but as you say, that many doctors, possibly even most doctors, would not really recognize this because this was not in their syllabus, frankly, when they were at medical school. So they would just, uh, you know, say, oh, you have tinnitus, uh, go and, you know, flush your ears out, put some olive oil in or whatever it is that they do these days. But um, again, you can hear I'm not a doctor. But um, the I have experienced tinnitus uh, and I have have experienced headaches and, and other such things. But I'm just wondering, you know, Okay, that led that led me to look around my environment to see if there were actually any transmitters around, if there were any sources. Um, I actually went as far to import a, a, a tri-field meter uh, to start looking around the house and the place where I was actually experiencing this. And sure, I found that some of the sources of um, other items around the house, like for example, a smart meter, was emitting a huge amount of uh, radiation. radiation. Um, and also I started measuring power lines. And again, I know I don't want to diversify too far into the power line story, but we're talking about all of these different items having different frequencies. Um, but is, is there a way for us to, what I'm trying to get to, is there a way for if somebody suspects they have um, a sensitive you know, reaction to this, this, this form of uh, radiation, is there a way of, looking on the internet to see if there's a transmitter nearby or is, is there a way of confirming this, you know, feet on the ground, has well, 5G is... been installed in your neighborhood, for example? You know what I'm trying to say? Is there a way of checking it out? Yes, uh, there is, I think, antennasearch.com or .org uh, will tell you where um, antennas are placed. I have no idea how up-to-date that website is kept but it, it, you know, one can look up one's exact address and see what antennas exist around there uh, on such websites. But I think it's very important to measure one's ambient environment and really understand one's exposure. And we like the Cornet uh, radio frequency meter. The Trifield meter is also good. Um, the problem is these handheld meters for the public will not measure anything beyond about 6 gigahertz. And if you want to measure 5G, uh, the, the bands that go beyond that, there is no consumer meter. You're stuck uh, with uh, getting or renting a military-grade equipment that costs upwards of $100,000. However, it's something that our laboratory is working on, the people's meter for 5G, because it's so important to understand one's exposure. And... Another thing is we found uh, in the city of Oakland, California, uh, we're supposed to have measurements every so often done by independent engineers. But 
we could not uh, find any information from the city that any of that is being done. In other words, it's not being done. They could not produce documentation uh, of independent uh, verification about the exposure uh, around various installations. And so, uh, again, it varies city by city. The cities all have different wireless telecom ordinances about how they're handling this. So that's another recourse for people Mm -hmm. to go online. Usually these are put online under the city uh, laws, and they can take a look at the wireless telecom ordinance for their own city and see whether it's being obeyed. They can find out if measurements are being made by the city, how recently has this been done? Has it been done by third-party engineers who are not from the telecom companies? Because in all honesty... We really can't trust the measurements made by the corporations who are installing them. So, uh, so what sort of scale are we looking at? I mean, I, I've read some articles periodically. I read articles about this because I, I do have a, you know, a definite interest and a huge curiosity about this. I mean, I read something in the region that there are something like, uh, is it 6,000 5G transmitters already installed in the United States, in North America? Is that, does that ring a bell? Does that seem about well, right to you? you know, I have to tell you, I'm not certain what the number is. And as I said earlier, these things are going in while we're on lockdown to some extent, and so we're not even seeing what's going on. And I don't know if the antenna search websites are up to date. So I don't know the numbers uh, of what's being mm-hmm. installed. I can I tell you this. It's quite interesting to look at the large number of cases, and we'll get into this later on, but Southern California had a lot of COVID-19 cases, so does New York. And it's interesting, I was taking a look at 5G installations in those two regions, and they're both high. But I'd like to get into that topic later on. But Mm -hmm. right now, if you have a meter, uh, for example, the Cornet meter registers in something called DBM, decibels, uh, kind of an engineering lingo. In nature, there are really no microwaves, not, not any registering uh, from the meter, nothing coming from the sun in this regard. And basically, that would be about a minus 115 decibels. That would be the natural earth before wireless was invented. Nowadays, if you walk through cities like San Francisco with a cornet meter, you'll easily measure minus 35 decibels. Now, you might wonder about these numbers. Okay, Uh, I can do that, uh, give you another nomenclature for this. So in nature, yes, 1.8 picowatts per meter squared, picowatts 10 to the minus 12, as I recall. That's 12 zeros and then a 1.8.0000012 zeros and 1.8. There's basically zero. And then when you get into walking around, let's say, in San Francisco, it's about 180 microwatts per meter squared. So that's 0.000180. So that's millions of times, almost trillion, billions of times higher than nature, higher than the natural environment. We've already terraformed our cities, walking through the streets or uh, just standing around, uh, not even near a source particularly, but this is the ambient uh, radiation often in, in our cities. I find and it so interesting that, I'm sorry, that word terraforming, I hadn't considered it in that regard, but certainly it, that is accurate. Yes. Now let, let's talk about what is a natural earth 
we know that the Earth does have natural frequencies. First of all, the Earth has a magnetic field, and that magnetic field sort of peaks at noon and then ebbs in the night. It's related to solar activity, too. And there's a weak magnet. There's a North Pole and a South Pole. Life knows about these magnets. Animals orient and navigate by these, the tiny magnetic field of Earth. Then there's also the Schumann resonance. What's this? This is very low-frequency waves, about 7.83 hertz is the ground state, and it has to do with um, the Earth being pumped up by lightning storms that are happening all over, and it's the wave between the surface of the Earth and the ionosphere, the uppermost atmosphere. And so these are very, very long waves, 7.8 hertz and then harmonics, 13, 14 hertz, up to about 39 hertz. But the dominant one is 7.8 hertz. Very interestingly, about the same frequency as the alpha rhythm of our brain waves, which is our ground state of consciousness. So when we close our eyes and, and rest, meditate, and just tune out, not think, our brains are churning out essentially 7.8 hertz, the same as Earth's natural frequency. Don't and that's why it's so important that we get exposed to natural frequencies. We're in sync. We're resonating with, nat with Mother Earth. But now we've added billions of times more wireless than Earth ever Earth made essentially none or the sun didn't produce any. So now we're a billion to a trillion times in microwaves uh, Firstly, with our wireless technologies. I'd really like to just, just pause here for a second if we can. I'd like to talk about the Schumann resonance. This is something which is I've heard about and I have not really looked into very much in until very recently, literally one or two weeks ago. And uh, it came about because uh, a friend of mine in Turkey uh, said they'd read about um, somebody who was a should we say uh, somebody's a, a very much a naturalist, but also a scientist as well. So, you know, the technical training and also sort of very one with, with the earth, if you like. And uh, apparently this person had broadcast or told uh, people on, on, I guess, through social media that something very strange had happened to the Schumann resonance. I think it was not, it was not last Monday, it was the Monday before. It's not right, Andrew. We were talking about this conversation um, also with Robert uh, recently as well. Yes. But the something, uh, again, I don't know if this is a complete myth or if there's any truth to it, but I, I'm dying to ask you, Dr. Beverly. But what I heard was that this Schumann resonance had changed or the state of it had changed in that it was not possible to measure it in the same way as it was before. Either it had changed, varied off its 7.83 uh, hertz or if it had dimmed, or if it had, it, um, I don't know exactly what it was, but there was some difference. Have you heard anything along these lines? I have heard rumors about this, but as I'm not a geophysicist, I'm not up on whether this has changed. I, I can't imagine that it would change. It's due to lightning storms, but of course, um, we have weather changes, and not all of them are natural. I think that devices like HARP, the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Project, which blasts the ionosphere with waves of all sorts, and um, you can see changes in the geoengineering formations, or the, the chemtrails, as people call it, um, 
sometimes patterns sort of like sandbars across the sky. Uh, there are a lot of these ionospheric heaters. It isn't just the one in Alaska anymore. And so it's quite possible that I would say man-made changes are going on that are underlying some of the climate change. I'm, I'm talking about these big pieces of technology, not our usual activity driving cars and carbon footprint. But I am concerned about these ionospheric heaters that um, on which you could check uh, Google patents. There have been weather patents since the 1970s that go back to uh, devices that have been used by the military and others and may even be involved in weather wars. Who knows? Uh, there's a proliferation of these ionospheric heaters. It's beyond the Project HARP in Alaska. And so it wouldn't surprise me that the Schumann resonance may change, but it, I don't think it would be a natural Earth change so much as it might be a disturbance from mm -hmm. these large-scale technologies that yes. are Dr. studying Beverly. the ionosphere. Well, there yeah. was one. Oh, sorry. I, I, I just wanted to to mention, because it's in alignment with the conversation here, that our sound engineer, Keith, has dropped into the chat. He says, microwave lasers, they are not heating the ionosphere. They are trying to inject a signal into the Earth's magnetic field. Um, I just that, can okay. I join you guys real quick? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. sure. This is Keith Morgan. Uh, we give a big thanks to Keith because he keeps the show going on the air. <laughs> yeah, I worked for ABC News for 30 years as an electronics technician. And doing that, I came across things where uh, in 1996, this guy named William Luke Stewart came out with a way to, inje to inject uh, 2.5 gigabytes a second into the magnetic field around the power lines. So now the signal goes through transformers in the inductive devices, whereas if it's in the copper, it would get stuck on one side. This technology used microwave lasers to inject the signal into that magnetic field. Once the signal was in the field, nothing could bother it, no lightning, no static, nothing outside could bother it, so there was no lost data packets, no retransmission of data packets or anything like that. And then in 2004, they took him to court saying, this is science fiction, you're trying to build the public. And I knew right then it's not science fiction because in 1973, it was my idea in high school. And I asked my electronics teacher, how come we don't send the signal through the magnetic field around the wire instead of through the copper? And he said it was impossible. But here's a guy in 1996 that com comes up with the idea. And when I found out he was using microwave lasers, it, it dawned on me, hey, this is the way to do it. But then... When he was doing testing in Manassas, Virginia, we started noticing things like transformers blowing up in D.C., noticed that there was birds sitting on the power lines going across Route 50, and they just fell off the fire power lines onto the ground. Because when you put microwave lasers into a magnetic field and you've got birds sitting on the power lines, what are you going to have happen? They're going to get microwaved, and they're going to fall off. So this whole thing... That sounds... That sounds exactly like uh, what Richard was um, pointing out in the introduction, which, which Andrew, you, you kindly uh, read through. But I, th I think it was not in Amsterdam it happened during 5G testing. I think it was over Den Haag, in fact. Yeah. Um, but the point is, you know, literally a whole flock of birds fell out of the sky um, around an area where there was 5G testing. So 
Is is that the same same thing, Keith? This would be exactly the same thing if they're using gigahertz frequencies. Now, it's the modulation that's really going to give us the higher bandwidth. But if we stay in the megahertz, we should be fine. We're doing what's called frequency modulation. So in order to keep the clean signal so it doesn't get interfered with, if you do amplitude modulation, stuff will mess with it. If it's frequency modulation, things can't mess with it. So it comes out clean. You can get your data across. But they're doing a modulation that not only uses frequency modulation, but it uses a phasing modulation as well. And that's what gives us this higher bandwidth. Now, the modulation shouldn't mess with anything except for when you get into the higher frequencies. And since you're varying the frequency and frequency modulation, you're creating sidebands and harmonics, which can get into frequencies that are outside that range. And if you're dealing with gigahertz, you don't know what you're creating at that point because you could get into areas that could have effects on the human physiology. So you have to be aware of those things, but no one's talking about it because I think they know there's something going on, but they're not going to say anything about it because they this is a multi-billion dollar, trillion dollar enterprise that they're pushing forward. Okay, but Keith, Oh. <laughs> I was just going to say, which brings us back to Dr. Beverly. <laughs> well, I, I want to say one thing, and, you know, it isn't just gigahertz effects on humans. There's some 20,000 publications, if you really look into it, since the beginning of radio waves, which go back 60, 70 years, and radio sickness has been known a long time by the military. Uh, so there are plenty of effects from microwaves in the megahertz region. You don't have to invoke the gigahertz of 5G uh, for health effects. There's many more papers actually on microwaves because they're easier to deal with than gigahertz uh, in laboratories. And, you know, there's many dire effects from those, those megahertz or millimeter, uh, excuse me, microwave and kilohertz. That would be 4G and the lower end of 5G. And kilohertz also can do the same thing. Uh, a guy named um, John Kansas in Pennsylvania, he came up with a way to hit salt water with radio frequencies in the kilohertz, and it actually releases gases of hydrogen, and you can light it up and get a flame of about 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit coming out of these things. So... When I saw him doing something like that, I'm starting to wonder, because we're just bags of salt water anyway, if we're getting hit with radio frequencies, could spontaneous human combustion have something to do with us getting hit with the right frequencies at the wrong time? And we get hit with the sun's frequencies all the time, so this could be a phenomena that is kind of spot, spotty, it's random. And if we get hit with the right frequency, we could burst into 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and that would be spontaneous human combustion. But he had to put a paper towel in the salt water when he hit it with the radio frequency to get it to burst into this flame. So that's, that's a possibility that we could be doing damage to ourselves. But, again, nobody's going to talk about it because... Well, the problem are not thermal effects, and I'm... I'm aware of spontaneous human combustion. It's an extremely rare phenomenon. It's one of those frontier uh, kind of off-limits conversations. But, but are you familiar with John Kansas and what he's no. doing? 
No, but there are others who've written books on this, and I've read no, them. No, it's not a book. Uh, but this is a guy who's uh, a radio, a TV station owner, an engineer. He came up with a way to actually take this, the salt water and separate it so that you could actually get, uh, get the hydrogen to release just by using radio frequencies. But his main thing that started out was that he came up with an idea for curing cancer, and 60 Minutes did a piece about this. You take, so you take nanoparticles of metal, you float them in the body so they attach to the cancer cells, then you hit the body with the radio frequency, heating up the metal, killing the cancer cells. And Keith? <laughs> okay. But I, I'm, I'm trying to give you some context here that, yes, we are all part of the electromagnetic spectrum. And if we start messing with it in such a way, we can be affected by it. But it's, are we taking the proper precautions? And Dr. Barry, well, you're, the, the, yeah. you're the guest, so back to you. Thank you. <laughs> well, Dr. Beverly, can I can I cut in for a second? Sandra Curry here. I spoke off the top. I'm I'm sorry to cut you off. I know we're coming up to faster break, but I wanna sort of ask an overarching question. You know what it feels like is like we're literally in a giant earthly petri dish <laughs> and we're being exposed to something along with whoever is developing this technology, what's happening? And you know, your your comments about you know, a secretive white van with no markings hooking up 5G in a Canadian school, I'm from Canada, is very disturbing. And the fact that people are being muted when they want to openly discuss, do we really understand the health effects of this? I, I guess, I, you know, I, I might sort of pose you a, a Richard question before going into the break, but one of the things he often asks is, well, if whoever, like, let's call them the elites or whoever, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that part of the discussion, but they live here too, and why would they sort of unleash this technology? Well, I guess they don't care about the rest of us. But why would they unleash it on their on themselves and their own children? Do you know what I do? You know what I'm saying? Well, I know what you're saying. Uh, let me say, I, you know, first of all, I, I think about this whole thing like the Earth is a microwave oven mm. with with 2.4 gigahertz. By the way, is the same frequency used in microwave ovens, and we use it in Wi-Fi. Why is that? We know that it cooks food. We know that it water absorbs at this frequency. It turns out it's one of those unlicensed bands. So anybody can use it. And they don't have to pay money to the FCC. Isn't that interesting? So they're using that a lot. And we have a lot of 2.4 gigahertz ambient because, um, because it's a free band that people can use. Well, we can get into later why the powers that be may be using this. I just want to say this. Uh, what we know in academic science, that's me, versus what is going on in, let's say, secret government we and need to programs that, that go beyond academic science are two different things, and we can talk about Dr. that. Dr. Beverly, yeah, we need to. This is a hard now, thank you. We'll pick that thought up after the break. You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight. Our show tonight is, is there a scientific 5G COVID-19 connection? And we shall return after the break. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, 
and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. <laughs>